Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday morning. You may be seated wherever you are. Thank you for joining us today. It is an honor to get to share this little time with you, to get to um, peek into God's word with you. So thank you again. Amen. A couple things I want to talk about. Number one, I want to just remind everybody, I can't see face, I'm going to ask those lights to come up, Jeremy, just a little bit. Uh, uh, I'm going to remind everybody that we live in an upside down, everybody say upside down, an upside down kingdom. We are a part of an upside down kingdom, the kingdom of God operates completely different than the kingdoms of this world. For instance, the first shall be last, right? Those who humble themselves, God will exalt. It's better to give than to receive, right? All of the upside down, backwards, it's like this, this doesn't make sense. And it's, it, it, it seems like it's inside out, upside down. But the truth is, is when we align our hearts with the kingdom of God, our lives begin to change exponentially, right? For instance, it's better to give than to receive. Think about this. Whenever we care for someone, there's not a guarantee that they'll get better. But when you care for someone, there's a guarantee you will get better, right? It's better to give than to receive. So I want to remind us that we are a part of a kingdom that is so unique from this world. And as believers walking in a world that's one, uh, we have a democratic country, uh, there are things that we understand, there's things that we pray for, there's things that we do that are different than everybody else. One thing that we do is we always pray for our leaders, amen? We always pray for our leaders. We always pray for those who, who are in charge. And so this is a time where the church, I just feel like this is a time, and we've been in a season where God is calling the church to stay on her knees, stay humble, and stay prayerful and watchful. I just believe that we are in a season where God is stretching the church and the best is yet to come. I know that we're in a uh, kind of a crazy quandary. What a week, what a week. And I know there's people going, yes. There's people going, no. And there's people in our church who feel different ways about that. Um, but I want to say this, that I truly believe with all of my heart that God has a plan for your life that supersedes what's happening around you. I want you to embrace that, that God is big, he's large and in charge, and that no matter who comes in and who goes out, we are walking in the purposes of God. God's hand is on you, and we're gonna walk and trust in that. So here's what I wanna do. We're gonna go to Matthew chapter 26. We are in what is called the struggle is real. Everybody say that with me. The struggle is real. Now, if anybody agrees with that, will you just give me a, a hello, a man, a holler, a wave? The struggle is real. And uh, two, uh, two weeks ago, we began talking about this when the, the, the last supper, Jesus says, you're going to feel a certain way, but I want you to know what you feel isn't necessarily real. And I'm going to kind of jump back into that idea, but I want to go just a few hours later, in just a moment, we're going to read out of Matthew 26, where Jesus is praying in the garden. But I want to set this up the right way. I want to set this up the right way. I want to remind you of a story, the story of Lewis and Clark. Anybody remember the story of Lewis and Clark? It's a story of expedition. It's a story of journey. Uh, it is pretty much the opposite of what I would want to do. Uh, 7,700 miles traveled, minimum, uh, from St. Louis to um, Asteria, I believe, Oregon. Uh, and 
It's a journey that took place right after Thomas Jefferson uh, purchased the Louisiana Territory from Napoleon. Napoleon is in a battle in Europe, and he needs money. So for $27 million, Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States, he ends up purchasing uh, the Louisiana Territory, about a little over one-fourth of the United States landmass, about uh, sorry, 850 thousand square miles of land. It was a great deal. This all happened about 1803, 1804, 1805. The Lewis and Clark adventure begins. And he says, we're going west. So Thomas Jefferson says to Congress, we need $2,500. I'm sending this crew out. There's gonna be 45 people total. Lewis and Clark are gonna be heading the expedition. They're gonna need funds for gifts for the natives. They're gonna need uh, to be able to have uh, horses, and, and they're going to be able to, they, they, need, they need the right clothing, et cetera, et cetera. And when you, when you read the story of their journey, it's, it's, it's amazing because they're, they're pioneering. They're going where no one's gone before. And I don't know if you've ever been there before, but I like, I like to know where I'm going. I like to know what's ahead. I like GPS. I'm, I, I want to know like the detail, where am I going to be parking and how is this all going to work out? And, and, is there shade and is there a place to sit down? And, and they don't have any of that. It's just, just, it's just out there. And they don't know what to expect. Is there mountains or valleys or deserts? Is it, is it jungles? They don't know. So starting in St. Louis, going all the way to Oregon, uh, two years, four months, and 10 days, all right? And they're preparing. And this is what they said. They said the most important thing that they brought on their journey was not guns, were not gifts, it was not even the ability to cook food. The most important thing that they brought on their journey was ink. It was ink. Because what they realized was they weren't just going on the journey for themselves. It wasn't just about let's get all that we can to make it there safely and get back. They had a different mindset about their journey. Their journey was we're going to get there, come back, but we want to map it out so others can get there also. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in Matthew 26. He has invited three of his disciples to peek into his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane because he doesn't just want to get there. He wants us to get there too. He wants us to win also. And I want you to see this dichotomy, this struggle that Jesus is experiencing internally and externally. Matthew 26 and 37 says this, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. How many has ever fallen asleep during a prayer meeting? Anybody honest? Okay. There's some of you like, I've never fallen asleep. You never prayed long enough, okay? If you pray long enough, you'll fall asleep. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter? Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There's this dichotomy. There's this struggle. How many have ever experienced that before? Like there's part of me who's like, I'm all in. There's part of me like, no way, Jose. So Jesus is giving us, he, he's, he's, got, he's got his three disciples, James, John, 
and Peter. He's like, I want you to watch because I want you to ink this. I want you to help others to see how to get there and how to get back. He went a second time and prayed, not my will, but thine be done. He came back and again and he found them sleeping because their eyes were so heavy. So he left them and went once again more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The son of man is to be delivered in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayers. The struggle is real. As my wife will say, sometimes when there's mayhem in the house, we have some trouble in River City. And there's some trouble in River City. So we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, the struggle's real. There's a battle that's going on in each one of us. And you've called us to win. You've called us to walk in power and to know how to get there and how to come back. How to win in Jesus' name. We ask your strength and your peace. Amen and amen. All right. So I'm going to do a little confessing today. Um, we do not have the homeschooling thing down. We're not good at it. Homeschooling, we've done before, but, but distance learning is complicated. Um, I don't want to, I'm not complaining, but there's just a lot about a kid in his room, her room, getting on Zoom. That rhymed, it was perfectly on time. I didn't mean for that to happen. But getting on Zoom at the right time and being present, and it's just complicated. But I think the hardest part are the emails. We got emails coming in every day. Assignment number two wasn't turned in by Jude. Assignment number three wasn't turned in by Jude. Number uh, assignment uh, history, world history. Josh is late. Is this going to da da da? Hey, by the way, where's this thing where all the parents in Zoom? Da, 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 da. It's 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 we're like, uh, it's hard. And I know the teachers are doing the best job that they can. And so I'm like thinking about this this week, and I was remembering back in the day we didn't have email. We had what was called a handout, and your teacher would hand you a handout, and your job was to get that to your parent. You were the Pony Express between teacher. And parent. And unfortunately, between Highlands Elementary School and my house was a friend's house named DJ Acromas. So a lot of those handouts didn't make it. How many permission slips were not signed for me to go on that little trip, that day trip with the class? I can't tell you. How many times I didn't get that little paper to my parents about that, that parent teacher week? They had no idea which worked my benefit. It was for my benefit. Amen, amen. But there was a lot of information. But the worst, the biggest fail for me was when I got pajama day wrong in third grade. There's nothing worse than getting pajama day wrong on the wrong day. Now, it's one thing to show up to pajama day and not know it's pajama day. It's another thing to show up the wrong day and it's not pajama day and you're dressed in your Superman outfit. Can I get an amen from anybody? You're in the wrong day with the right stuff on. And, I, and I, I'm thinking about how emotions work. I'm thinking about how we deal with emotions, how sometimes we bring the wrong emotions into a situation or we bring the right emotions into the wrong situation because emotions are neither uh, bad or good. They're just emotions. Every one of us are emotional. Jesus is emotional. Did you know Jesus had emotions? I know a lot of people think he's just like a robot. Or even God, like 
God's just a robot, he just, he's programmed to be like good. No, he feels, he can feel anger. He can feel like, why did I even make humanity? I repent for doing this. God has emotions. Emotions are data. Feelings are how we process that data. So emotions can be a very good thing. You see someone on the side of the road, they need help, you feel compassion, emotions drive you to do something maybe out of your comfort zone, you go and help, that's a good emotion. Or on that same road, you have an emotion for someone who cuts you off, and instead of helping them, you wave at them. You know what I'm talking about, the wrong kind of wave. I've seen some good people do some bad things on the road, okay? Emotions, so emotions are like this fuel that drives us. So this is not a sermon about emotions being bad. It's about are you bringing the right emotion to the right place? Because Jesus had this dichotomy. There's an emotion that says, I don't wanna do it, and there's an emotion that says, we gotta do it, okay? And you gotta be able to discern between the right emotions and the wrong emotions, okay? So let me give you a couple stories, and I wanna, want you to see that we can mix up and mismanage our emotions. There's a guy by the name of Elijah, I don't know if you know the story of Elijah, but this guy was bad of the bone. He took on 450 false prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. I've been to that mount. It's a big mount. It's a lot to go up to Mount Carmel. He goes up to Mount Carmel. He's like, we're gonna have a standoff. 450 prophets. He goes, you, you, if, you're, if your God is real, let him bring down fire upon that altar. We're all gonna give a sacrifice. Let the real God let him answer by fire. So they're cutting themselves and they're screaming to God, their God, Baal. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I mean, Elijah's just like, guys, what, is, your, is, he on the, is he on the pot? Is he sleeping? Is he deaf? What, what's up with your God? Mocking them. And then he's like, okay, let, let's, let's do this to, to, to Yahweh. He gets a sacrifice, guess what? He's like, you know what? That's too easy. Let's dump some water. No, that's not enough water. Let's just keep dousing it with water. God answers with fire, 450 false prophets are killed that day. Win, 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 win. Elijah goes to Bethsaida, goes to the wilderness beyond Bethsaida, and he's going, woe is me, I just wanna die. Which tells me you can be winning and not feel like you're winning. He says, God, I don't feel like I'm winning right now. You're, you're winning, man. The angel comes and gives him, so you need some food and some rest. Then he goes, God, I feel like I'm all alone. There's nobody else. I'm, I'm the only one. And God says, stop it. I have 7,000 7, that have not bowed their knee to Baal. You're not the only one. You see, when your emotions get out of whack, you can feel like you're the only one. You can feel isolated. You can feel like nobody knows, nobody cares. You can feel like you're not winning even when you are winning. Misdirected emotions become false feelings that send us in the wrong direction. How about when Jesus wept? You know, my favorite scripture in, in Sunday school was Jesus wept. They're like, memorize the scripture, come back and quote it before the class. It's like, easy, done. Jesus wept, boom. John 11, easy, right? Who doesn't love Jesus wept? Two words, one scripture, boom shakalaka, okay? So what's the, what's the context? Jesus weeping. It's Lazarus. Lazarus, his buddy, is dead. Now, this passage is full of so much emotion. Jesus says to his disciples who are like, hey, are we gonna go pray for Lazarus? He's sick. He's like, he's like no, he's dead now. He's like, I'm, Jesus says, I'm glad he's dead. You're glad he's dead? That seems like a weird emotion to have. 
Shouldn't we be mourning? And then Thomas, you know, Thomas is, he's, he's a mess himself. He's like, what if we just all go and die? We're just gonna all go there and die. He, his, his emotions are whacked. Then Jesus shows up. He's, you know, he's four days late to the funeral. He gets there and Martha comes running and she falls and she's like, Jesus, you, sh- you, you, you could have come and helped. Disappointment. Jesus, is, Jesus weeps. He, he's weeping. He's, he, he feels an emotion. He's sad. Martha is disappointed. You could have done something. Mary comes running, falls at his feet. You not could have done something. You should have done something. She's grieving and a little angry. You see all these emotions, and Jesus doesn't hide his emotions. He's sad, but he has the right perspective of what's going on. See, he's able to monitor his emotions because he knows the story isn't over. And when you have the right information connected with the emotion, then you can have the right feeling. It's okay to mourn, but I'm not going to grieve. I'm not going to get angry with God. I'm not going to be disappointed with unmet expectations toward God and let these emotions create a resistance and then a pain that creates an emotion, emotional divide from God. Let me, let me tell you a story real quick about a, a, a guy named uh, Charles Swindoll. He's a, he's a preacher. And I heard this story a while back about Charles Swindoll who was preaching a five-night revival, okay? Uh, he's like a five-night conference revival. And on the first night, there was a guy in the front row who was sleeping during the sermon. And he said he was, he was like, I can't believe this guy's sleeping during my sermon. He's like, fine, we'll, we'll, we'll get through it. The next night, the guy's on the front row again He's out. I mean, he's drooling. He's like, he's, I mean, it's obvious he's sleeping. Two nights in a row, the gumption, the audacity of this guy to come to my service and sleep on the front. Go to the back row and sleep, man. Stay home and sleep. He's quite perturbed about this. Night number three, guess who's on the front row? Sleepy John. He's on the, he's, he's, there he is. He's drooling. He's snoring. And he's like, I can't, five nights in a row, every Every night, sleeping. He's done. He, I mean, God's doing cool things in the service. But he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. I can't see this dude. A woman comes running up to him and says, hey, just want to thank you. My husband and I came, and it, what a blessing. And the, and the man who'd been sleeping follows her up. He kind of walks a little slow. And he's like, this, this, is, the kind of, this is a moment. I should, I should rebuke this man for sleeping during service. The audacity of this guy. And she says, my husband's been fighting cancer. He's got all the chemo. He's, he, he's, he's probably not going to live another couple months. And all he wanted to do, we traveled across the country to come see you. And he said, sir, I'm so sorry that I fell asleep on the front row, but it was my dream to hear you preach. I did the best that I could. He said, all of a sudden, new data, new emotions, new feelings toward this person. And it shows you how fickle your emotions can be based on how we couple emotions with data right? And we have a certain feeling. So emotions are data. Feelings are what form our future. It moves us in certain directions. And we as believers, we must get this emotional thing down. Jesus showed us how to do it. I want to show you one more example that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to show you something kind of cool that hopefully will be an illustration you can, you can get imprinted in your brain. I love the story of the man who, who's paralyzed at the Pool of Bethesda. Jesus, it's one of the craziest stories because Jesus doesn't go to heal everybody there. He's tiptoeing over people who are lame and paralyzed and, and blind. And he, he finds one man, a man who's paralyzed. 
And he asks him a question. He says, will you, do you want to be made whole? Now that seems like a dumb question, right? Hey, what do you, it's, I, I love when Jesus is like people, the blind man walks up to Jesus and says, Jesus, the son of David. And Jesus is like, what do you want? Like, uh, uh, obviously there's a, mis- are you not, are you blind? Can you not see? He's like, do you want to be made whole? And Jesus asks him an emotional question because an instruction brings an emotion, an emotion, obedience, or an action that brings a condition. At some point, we're going to emotionally process this. Everything is gonna have to go through the emotions at some point. And what's amazing is in this story, this man represents emotions that have paralyzed him. You see, when you're paralyzed by your emotions, you can't go anywhere unless someone takes you there. Why are you so triggered? Someone took me there. Why are you so angry? Someone took me there. Why are you happy? Someone made me happy. And there are people who are paralyzed in life because they can only go places if people take them. And what happens is, is when your emotions are out of whack, here's what you do. You try to control other people's behavior to align with your emotions. Well, I have no one to help me. I have no one to get me to the pond. I have no one to dip me in the pool. And now you're trying to control the world because you have no control over your emotions. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, is showing us this dichotomy. There's will, his will, and there's the flesh that is weak, and there's the spirit that is strong, and how all this works. And this is where worry and fear uh, fear and trepidation and pain, this is where we can win in seasons that are hard, pandemics that are hard. You know we're in a great pandemic, right? You know what pandemic we're in? Oh yeah, there's, there's COVID, and I'm, I'm not trying to make light of that. But you know there's a greater pandemic? It started thousands of years ago. It has infected 100% of the population, and the mortality rate is 100%. Everyone dies from it. It's called sin. Sin is the great pandemic. It has ruined us, and that's why Jesus gave us his blood, because he has the antidote. He has the antibodies. His blood has the antibodies that beat sin. So we're gonna, we're gonna open this up and we're gonna look at what the dichotomy of what Jesus was struggling with. I, I, got, some, I got my team here. Um, come on out, guys. Now, this, this may help you. This may not help you, but it, I'm gonna do my best here to, to, to illustrate this. <laughs> this is Chad and this is Cass. Um, I'm the soul, uh, this is the, the body, the, the, the flesh, this is the spirit, all right? We need to tighten this up just a tad. Okay, so body, soul, spirit. L- l- let me break this down really quickly. M- my flesh, my body, is what allows me to connect with the natural world. Five senses. It allows me to function on this planet, in this realm, in the natural world, Okay? Five senses, right? And then my spirit man makes me aware of the things of the spirit. The Bible says no one can know the things of God save by the spirit. The the Bible says the carnal man, the the flesh, has no awareness of God. the, the, The flesh has no clue about God, cannot know the things of God, okay? So everybody say flesh. We're gonna call it carnal 
are carnage. The, the first time we went to, uh, took, took Jude to the taco truck on Sebastopol Road, he was so impressed because they had, they, they had a, a taco called Al Pastor. He thought it was me. He's like, Dad, that's your, that's your taco. Like, yes, it is, son. Yes, it is. And so, growing up in Texas, we only had, we had beef tacos. We didn't have carne asada. I'm so thankful California gave me carne asada tacos. Thank you so much. But, but carne just simply means flesh. It's meat. The carnal, the meat, the, the abased uh, mind. And this, this, is, this, is, this is the part of you that's just connected and there's sensory overload. You're just connected to this world. Taste, smell, feel, 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 feel. It's like the, the men's restroom. I, I'm sure, the, I've never been in the women's restroom here. But you don't have to flip a light on. You walk in and the little light turns on. You're like, oh, cool. I didn't have to touch a, a, a switch. Awesome. Because it, it has a sensory somewhere. I don't even know where it is. Someone tell me, it may be underneath the sink. I have no idea where the, the little sensory is, but it, you, it senses someone, and do, and that's what this does. Do, 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 senses, and it's feeling in the world, and, and that's what the spirit does, except in the spirit realm. It's connecting, it's, it's feeling, it's reaching, it's pining, it's listening. Spirit man. So body connects me to the physical world, my spirit connects me to the spiritual world, and my soul is me. So I have a body, I have a spirit, but I am a soul. This is what connects me to me, my will, my intentions, my heart. And so I am in this tug of war. In, the, in, in, in Romans chapter eight, and we're gonna read it in just a second, it talks about these, are, these don't comply with one another. Paul's like, hey, I'm really bad at doing good and I'm really good at doing bad. There's a problem here. The things I want to do, those are the things, I don't do it. There's a compulsion inside of me to continually reach for the things of the world. But there's also deep calling unto deep. There's a part of me that goes, there's more to this life than what's in the world. There's more to this life than just eating, drinking, living, feeling, emotions. There's something here. And then the Bible talks about being led of the flesh or drawn away of the spirit. So watch what happens if my will, the soul, pull that up a little bit, gives into the flesh. Guess what happens? Flesh, you start leading us, uh-oh. Guess what? My soul and my spirit have to follow. You ever been there before? Anybody? Oh, you're a bunch of spiritual <laughs> giants in this room. Never given into the flesh. But then if the will gives into the spirit, guess what happens? Guess where the flesh is? The flesh is subject to the spirit and the will. This is, be, this is called being spirit-led, led of the spirit. So this sensory overload cannot dictate to me how I'm gonna live, how I'm gonna act toward people, how I feel... I can't just feel my way through the world and every time someone says the wrong thing, I respond out of the flesh because my life is not being directed by the emotions, the feelings, this, the sensual part of me. I'm being led of the Spirit. I'm being led by the Spirit. Man. 
Let me step up real quick. I want, to, I want to read this, Romans chapter 7 and 18. I want, you to, I want you to see this. I want you to see Paul's, the tension. Paul says this, Romans 7, 18 through 25. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I've given over to sin. This is what God told Cain. You're either going to rule over this or it is going to rule over you. There is no peaceful coexistence. There is no deal that you can make where we're like, are we cool? This flesh, sorry, Chad, you, I, it was a toss-up. I don't know. This flesh has its own mind and its own agenda. There's no deal here. And that's what Paul's saying. There's a, he says, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive the law of sin that dwells in my members. He says this, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You know where this ends up? Death. Back to the earth. You know where its deeds and desires end up? Death. It's sentenced. Every compulsion now, I'm not saying that there can't be godly emotions, and we'll show you that in a second. I, I'm not saying that every, every compulsion, every emotion's bad, but in and of itself, there is a nature that is wrong. And, and let, me, let me just say this real quick. Attention, let's go back to the center. OCD, I gotta get this right back in the middle. Whew. <laughs> Thank you, guys. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does is he begins to change the nature. You see, you can, you can put law around the body. You can say, here's the law, here's the wall, okay? Don't do this, don't do that. That's where the, the Old Testament, it came short, in that it was weak in the flesh. So you can put a cage around a lion and say, the lion hasn't eaten anybody in five years. Great, release the lion, you release the lion, the nature of the lion is still the same, right? So what's the answer? More rules. Paul said that doesn't work. We have a lot of years of watching that not working. He says there's a new law that's coming into the spirit. In fact, I'm gonna put that law in your heart, in your spirit. And, and here is where the win is gonna happen. So the Holy Spirit comes, You look great, Kess. You look beautiful. That's perfect for the next year's Dream Team Gala. It's perfect. The Holy Spirit comes and makes us alive. Our spirit that was dead and dormant, it was like the spirit, our spirit man is half dead. We come into this world like, like blind, barely able to hear. But when the spirit hears the truth of God, it awakens, the preaching of the word the Holy Spirit comes and seals and makes you alive. And all of a sudden, you become spiritually aware. Now there's communion with God. Now there's this connection and flow. God wants to flow his word and his, his purposes and principles. He wants that flow to shape your will and shape your spiritual mind. How you think, how you see the world. 
not seeing the world based on how, just how I feel, not understanding, not Chuck Swindoll just seeing a little bit with no information, just feeling our way. No, no offense to Chuck Swindoll if you're watching this, please forgive me. But <clears throat> what I'm saying is a lot of us are operating in this realm. I want you to see this, 1 Corinthians 2 and 14. It says this, but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So the question I have is, who are you feeding? See, when we fast, what are we doing? We're feeding our spirit, starving our body. So when there's a tug of war, who do you think is gonna win? Right? When there's a tug of war between body and spirit and you're fasting and you're in the word and you're praying, guess who wins the battle? This is the ongoing battle. This struggle does not go away because of someone gets an elected, the, right, the wrong person, the right person's elected, or oh, the, the, I got the tax return, everything's better. Oh, the new car, the, I got the new car smell. It's just life is good. This will be with us all the days of our life. The struggle. Paul, an apostle, is still struggling. 2 Corinthians 2 and 10 says this, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us. How do we know the things of God? Because the Spirit's been given. And now there's this relationship. Now there's this flow. Now, now he's alive. He's awake. He's seen. He was paralyzed. And now, this is great. Whoa. I can run. I can jump. I can do. I can be. See, we're not offering the world like, hey, we're a, we're a nonprofit group of people who are trying to do good in the world. We're offering life to people. We're offering, you are dead, and the Holy Spirit, through the grace of God, the sacrifice of Jesus, makes us alive again. Jesus said, you will never die. What, what, do, you, what do you mean? Wait, wait, wait. They misunderstood this. But, but John, John's, John the Revelator died, and he told Jesus, Jesus told John, you'll never die. Oh, yeah, this thing's already cursed to die. This body goes back to the ground. But you will never spiritually die. Eternal life is you are awake and alive unto God forever, for eternity. He says, I will, ne I will never take my spirit. Sealed. The day of redemption by the spirit. Oh, I have a lot of preaching me, but I gotta keep moving. All right. Romans 8, 13. I'm gonna skip down. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So which way do we want to go? How do we want to live? We want to give into the body? What happens if we give into the body? Let me show you. Galatians 5 and 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Can we just leave that up there for a second? Be led of the Spirit. Turn. Guess, guess who's the tiebreaker? So 
Two Chads against one Kess. Guess who wins? One Chad and one Kess against Chad. Guess who wins? I'm the tiebreaker. So if we follow the Spirit, we have life. The flesh, guess what happens? It's death. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. Tug of war. The Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They're opposing They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. You start letting the body lead, sexual immorality. Let's turn this with us. Let's go. Let's just a little bit, just one little inch because we can't get out of the camera frame. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. Witchcraft. You know what witchcraft is? It's trying to manually manipulate people's spiritual wills through the flesh, through fear, whatever it may be. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and and, and like, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes through the fruits of the Spirit. But a life where you're led by the Spirit, joy, kindness, peace. What what kind of life do you want? Because this is going somewhere. This is going somewhere. And you're the tiebreaker. The struggle is real. Romans 6 and 12. It says this, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Don't give in. And when you live in sensory overload and feelings, guess who you're letting lead? And we know where those feelings lead. Now, let me tell you one more thing. Let's go back to the center. Just OCD. Here's the cool thing. There's this other term in the Bible called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the word baptism means immersion. Fully immerse. So when we baptize, we don't sprinkle because the word baptism means to fully immerse, like all, all of you. I don't want to get my hair wet. We're, all of you. Every part of you. It's going to be wet. Okay? Every part. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is more than just a spirit. But it's the Holy Spirit, every part, coming under Christ. It's saying... You will speak with new tongues. You will prophesy. You will feel the joy of the Lord. This isn't just a spirit right there. It's, it's coming. It's flowing out. It's flowing from heaven into every part of my life. God wants to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. A church, a people that are fully immersed. And that doesn't happen if you're being led by your flesh, but we surrender to the Spirit, and we go, oh, you're subject. Come on, baby. You're, you're, you, oh, the tongue is the most unruly part of the body? Oh, that's fine, because he says he's going to give you new tongues. You used to gossip with that tongue. Now you pray in the Spirit with that tongue. It's flowing through my emotions. It's flowing through my will. The Holy Spirit is flowing through every part of me. God wants us to win. God wants us. Jesus said, hey, flesh is weak. Spirit is willing. Now I just got to settle this because I'm the tiebreaker. 
question is, who are you going to let lead your life? That's the question. That's the million-dollar question. Well, fix the symptoms. I can't. But I can give you the recipe for a life that honors God. Follow after the Spirit. Feed the Spirit. Word of God. Prayer. Christian music. Christian music, yes. <laughs> but I want to listen to some stuff. And I'm not against, like, non-Christian music. But if all you feed are these senses all the time, Guess what starts leading? Oh, yeah, I, I feel that way. Oh, yeah. We, we have to have the appropriate diet between the two. Amen? Right where you are, I want to pray for our entire church family, those who are here, those who are at home. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Thank you guys so much. Let's give our body and spirit a hand clap. Our worship team's gonna come up. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we honor you. We recognize that there is a struggle. There's a battle, and we have felt it for a long time. And Jesus, this kingdom is not from the outside in, it's from the inside out. It's an upside down kingdom. It all works in reverse. The kingdom does not come from the outside. It's coming from the inside out. You said that the kingdom dwells in us. And we have to win from within. I want to be led of the Spirit. Say that with me. God, give me the strength to be led of the Spirit. The struggle. The struggle's real. But God, you've given us grace to be able to win that battle. How often do I have to win that battle? Well, Paul said, I die daily. Every day, Lord, I pray that the people of the Promise Center Church, you would give them a supernatural grace to surrender to your spirit and to crucify their flesh and the deeds thereof. Let this be a house of revolution, of power, of spirit flowing through us, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Heaven touching earth. We ask it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.